Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, I'm Will Wheaton, and I have just received a dump truck full of gold bullion to tell you to watch the seed snobs. Welcome to the Scene Snobs Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Scene Snobs Interviews. We're back again with an all-new interview. Very excited for this one. Casey and I are both huge fans. Oh, yeah. Casey, how are you feeling right now? You feeling? I'm super stoked. I mean, I got to grow up through the roles that this band played. You know, his eyes were my eyes, and it's fantastic. So this means so much. I'm so excited for us to bring on this guest. This is huge. Yes, I don't. I don't think he knows what he's in for because we're okay. all huge fans. I have so many toy soldiers questions that I think is just way more than anybody should have. Oh, but, between the Stand by Me, the Star Trek. Oh, it's everywhere, ladies and gentlemen. Without further ado, whoa, whoa, wait! I want to just let everybody know his new book is out now. Still just a geek. Now it has all the annotations and new new uh, entries into it. So if you've read Just a Geek, make sure to get out there and get Still Just a Geek, which is available now on audiobook, which Casey has listened to, and I've read the book. Right over here. So we were super excited for it. But Casey, without further ado, you go ahead. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Will Wheaton. Will, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I, I, I love it because we know you're not just a representation of the things that we love on screen and growing up, like, you know, Stand by Me was like life changing for guys our age, you know. Like, yeah, that movie was huge. But like now we're looking at you have arcade games behind you, board games. You know, it you're a geek, you and we that's our people. We love it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, we're so happy to have you on the show and uh, thank you. Talk about the book and such. But uh, we usually start the show a little differently. We want to do uh, top ten favorite things. Okay. So if you're cool with it, I'm just going to rattle it off. Uh, you tell me as we go. Okay. All right. Favorite superhero? Um, Batman 1966. That's a great answer. All right. Cannot get... All right. Then I got to ask who's your favorite supervillain. Um... My, my 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 instinct is to say Joker sixty six as well, but Mark Hamill's Joker in the Killing Joke animated movie is extraordinary, especially his 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 uh, progression from being the the failed guy to the Red Hood to the Joker. It's really 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 good. But I want to get out of like just the Batman DC universe, which is kind of where I spent a lot of my time as as a kid. Um, I, I I also really really like Lex Luthor, um, uh, because he's kind of like like lawful new, uh, a lawful evil. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and is an interesting character who is not just chaos and mustache twirling. No, he is committed yeah. to the evil and to doing yeah. it properly. <laughs> yeah. And one thing I really love though, I, I love Michael Rosenbaum's version on Smallville, especially because you get yeah. that 
backstory to him. And I think Lex yeah. Luthor has such a rich backstory. Yeah. Um, that's a great, great answer. Your favorite audiobook that you worked on? Well, the audiobook of Still Just a Geek was probably the most consequential audiobook that I've done in that writing this book and revisiting the original text from 18 years ago and um, narrating the annotations and really saying out loud a lot of my truth, you know, a lot of this a lot of still just a geek is the true story of my survival of an abusive childhood of uh my survival of child exploitation growing up uh being narcissistically abused by narcissistic parents um writing all of that and telling all of that truth i hoped would be this healing cathartic experience for me and it wasn't, it was re-traumatizing, but then narrating it and saying all of these things that younger versions of myself always needed to say, all those times I needed to stand up for myself and say, this isn't okay, and this hurts, and like, I don't, you know, this is my truth. S giving a voice that had been taken away from me and then aggressively silenced starting when I was about eight years old was really important to me and extremely healing and extremely cathartic. So it has to be the audiobook of Still Just a Geek. That's kind of a special edge case scenario because not every audiobook narrator has their own emotional memoir that they get to narrate. So with that being a special case, I will say that um, my favorite thing that I've done that is not that would have been John Scalzi's Red Shirts. Oh, okay. oh, okay. Very cool. Nice. Awesome. That's awesome. And that's um, wonderful. Thank you for telling us about that because I know it's been yeah. such an emotional ride for you. I mean, it has Thanks. to I mean, yeah. to really expose yourself and to show your yeah. open wounds and to, to really heal publicly. You know, yeah. the way you've had to do that has been fantastic and it's meant a lot for me. And I know I've struggled with some of, not obviously to the extent, but to some of those mental issues and to going through that and growing up. And very similar feelings of of neglect and of loss and of, you know it's it's a beautiful thing for to see that you're not alone in it and to be able I to follow that. I hear you sort of qualifying your experience like it's somehow less than mine or not as bad as mine, and I want to remind you and everyone that it's not a contest. Like all of us that have had rough experiences and, and survived them. Like we're all in a club that we'd rather not be in, but the fact that we're in this club and we all kind of see each other is really important to me. And as a high profile member of this club, I want to remove the stigma of all of us who have struggled or suffered or, or worked through really challenging, really difficult uh, circumstances one person's challenge and difficult circumstance does not mean another person's is any less valid or any less meaningful or difficult. So I just want to put that out there because I do it myself too, right? I'm like, I talk about all this stuff that happened to me and then I think, but I didn't have it nearly as bad as blah, blah, blah. And I tell him, and I know that blah, blah, blah would say it's not a contest, man. Right. So I just, I always yeah. want to put that out there so that we start shifting the thinking and, and, and don't like, undercut our own experiences in an attempt to honor someone else's. 
Thank you. Yeah, and that's a be- so beautifully that. that's put. Awesome appreciate it because uh, one big thing that we are big proponents on on this show is mental health. That we both come from abusive backgrounds, uh, and the nice part for us as friends, like because we're best friends and we we talk and such. I come from a more physical abusive, and he yeah. comes from more of a, a, a mentally and emotionally abusive. And it, it when we are able to talk about it, and not just that, but also talk about the bullying we went through um, at young ages and such you know i'm six eight i'm a big guy but you know little things can make you bring you right back down and 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 we talk about that aspect of it a lot on this show so for you to come on and really you know put a not a spin but a uh wise words to it like that uh really helps and we appreciate that um thank you so much yeah Uh, now (laughs) favorite video game That is a really difficult question because I have so many that I love. Um, I am going to say the original Donkey Kong from the arcade because it's the one I'm playing the most right now. Play it on that machine right there. If anybody follows me on social media and has followed my adult progression of mastering Donkey Kong, that's the easy machine. The hard machine is over there. Um, there's like 10 people in the audience who knows what that means. Um, uh, but I, re- I, I love it. Um, it is a game that when I, was, when I was a little boy, I would spend weekends at my great aunt's house. And uh, my cousin lived with her. Um, uh, I never found out why, um, but I got the sense that he was in, that his house wasn't the greatest house. Uh, his parents weren't the greatest parents and my parents sucked. Um, so I loved going to my great aunt's house because that's a place I felt safe and I felt loved. And I was like away from the chaos and the bullying of, of my, my, my parents. My cousin's father bought him a Donkey Kong machine in like 1981 or 1982 when they were brand new and very expensive and very hard to find and an enormously big deal. And uh, Jack and I spent entire weekends just sitting there playing his Donkey Kong machine. And uh, when I play Donkey Kong, I remember being 10, 11, 12 years old and just really happy and really like safe and, and, and really carefree. And playing the game allows me to reconnect to that kid um, and that time when I was really happy. And uh, I started playing it really seriously about, I don't know, nine or 10 months ago in an effort to just like finally develop an understanding of this video game that is more in depth than an 11 year old. And it was so, it has been and continues to be so fun as a 49 year old man relearning a game that I really understood as a 10 year old boy. And, and like when I started playing it again for the first time in 30 years, uh, I, I was as good as a, 10 and 11 year old could be and I had to relearn the game and understand the game rather than like just repeating what I did as a kid and I've gotten pretty good at it and uh, I might actually be writing some kind of piece about the uh, the metaphor of, of getting good at Donkey Kong and and working through completing levels as that relates to working through mental health challenges. 
that's awesome. Oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah, what a nice event. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned that too. Uh, how you had to relearn and not play it as the way you were when you were eleven. Because uh, I'm, I'll sit down and I'll play. I have a ten year old and a five year old, and uh, they're really big into the video games now. And I've been bringing them back to play the older stuff on the Switch and such. Yeah. And I ha- That's I've so had funny. When I taught my kids the older stuff, it was Atari Twenty Six Hundred, and your right. older stuff is on the Switch. That's amazing. <laughs> We were, uh, one of them we were playing recently was Super Mario Brothers 3. Okay. We're having a good time with it. And so they, hard. Those games are just relentless. And they weren't getting it at first. And I'm like, no, you have to do this. Because you know, I'm thinking about it from my eyes of a child uh, playing yeah. this. You and have I've to double to... jump. You have to double jump. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I realized once I just shut up and I was like, go ahead and play. And 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 the fact that they played so many games on their own, uh, you know, yeah. that are way more advanced, uh, you know, and they they get it, they they do understand. Yeah. And, and now I'm learning stuff where I'm like, yeah, maybe I would beat Super Mario Brothers two if I went back if I actually looked at it this way. Two was way harder. <laughs> a couple of years ago, I uh, I built myself a um, a Raspberry Pi NES emulator. Mm-hmm and uh, replayed the original Legend of Zelda all the way through, which I hadn't done since I was like 15. And not only does that game hold up, it's it's so satisfying and just, boy, did I vibe with that game. And like everything about it was amazing. And I think about the, the versions that my kids and my nephew, my dog is really upset at the crow that's on the wire out there. Uh, yeah, you let that crow know, baby. You tell that crow, this is your yard. That's it. Get that murder out of here. Yeah, go on. Um, uh, I think about how those games have evolved from the originals, and I wonder what it is like, and I don't, I don't know, to be a child today playing one of the modern versions that was inspired by one of these that we grew up playing in the 80s. I've always wondered what it is like for them to see the familiarity of the seeds of the modern games and and what that's like, you know, like going and looking at Link in the original Legend of Zelda and being like, that is absolutely not Link. I look at Ocarina of Time and I'm like, look how much he's evolved since then. And that was oh, what, like the 90s that came out, yeah. you know. So, yeah, yeah. even going, stepping back further. It's yeah, just, Super yeah. Mario Brothers was so hard too. That was the one. Super Mario Three was the first time I ever had to lay out the Nintendo Power with my cousin, and I was like, Metroid was the first time for us. Yeah, nice. yeah, we had to lay it out. We had to lay out Metroid, and and uh, and and like on one side of the floor, on one side of the floor, we had the Nintendo Power magazine, and on and then next to it were all the hand drawn maps. Yep. Uh, <laughs> to like keep track of where of all the places we were going. Um, in the early aughts, J.J. Abrams wrote this terrific article for Wired about how every game we played on NES in the 80s was played on hardcore mode because you couldn't save your game. Death was permanent. Uh, you'd play like I'm sure I'm sure that 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 you did this playing uh, Nintendo for the longest time. Oh, no. The machine has gotten hot. Oh yeah! So we lift the machine up off the ground. We put it up on a couple of books. We open up the front thing in the hopes that 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 it cools down. Hit it with the fan. Yeah. Hit it with the fan, and then I have to go out. Don't turn off my Nintendo. Don't touch my Nintendo. I come home. 
my Nintendo is off. Like that happened to all of us. Oh, yeah. It is the Gen X version of my mom threw out my baseball cards. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> it's oh, always heart wrenching. 100%. Now I got to ask this. And yeah. We do have more. We have more Kings questions coming up, but okay. Uh, your favorite NHL player, not Gretzky. Like of all time or currently active? Let's do both. If that works. Uh, my favorite NHL player of all time is Gordy Howe. Awesome. Cause he was Gretzky before Gretzky. Yeah. Um, my favorite player right now in the, gosh, in the entire league, there's so many good players. Like, I hate how much I respect Connor McDavid. Like just fuck that guy, man. He's so good. <laughs> um, uh, he's just so, and Dreisaitl too. They're just like, oh, I hate Edmonton, but they're so fun to watch. Um, yeah. You know, like I just love Andre Kopitar. I've loved him since he was drafted by the Kings. I think he is just a good person. He's a good leader. He's a good role model. He's an extraordinarily talented hockey player. Um, I loved Dustin Brown. Uh, you know, I, I talk about how Wayne Gretzky brought hockey to Los Angeles, but Dustin Brown bought the Stanley Cup to Los Angeles twice. And, and that is significant. Um, uh, and and uh, uh, I mean, I'm sure that if I spent more time and thought about it, you know, there would be, there are guys like Pat LaFontaine and Ray Ferraro and, and Steve Iserman. Like, just like, I've been lucky to watch insanely good hockey players. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But just like right now, when it comes to players that you watch and just go, how in the world did you even make that happen? Right. It's like watching Sidney Crosby in 1993 and it's gotta be McDavid. There's just, there's not another player who can do that stuff. I've, there's not another player who goes coast to coast from behind his own goal line to score. <laughs> and it's sick. It's so sick. And he's just that guy right now. I think that's uh, it, it's actually pretty funny. My one of my best friends from college, uh, you know, is a huge fan as well. But yeah. In 2010, I grew up playing hockey, watching hockey. I'm a big Rangers fan. Uh, oh, I, yeah. I cheer for the Capitals now that we're in like Northern Virginia. Um, okay, but, sure, sure. Um, what position did you play? I I was a right wing. I was I was a lot better shape back then. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. You must have been enormous. You must have been terrifying. Just I, I am. I, I see you as like one of those those power forwards that I was a goalie. So like I would see you guys coming down the boards and just be like, cut off the angle, buddy, and hope that he shoots it. <laughs> yeah, it was. You know, it wasn't even my slap shot that really got me in the position. It was my wrist shot. I, yeah. I could flick it in. I was. You know, that it was. I was a good uh, chipper and and. and golf for the same reason like it just i just knew how to like control that and got good wrists yeah and it yeah i don't think so anymore but at the time i did and uh you know I as a goalie i was never afraid of slap shots because they were just not at the level i played they weren't nearly as accurate as wrist shots so when i saw somebody going for a slap shot i was like i got this and like nine out of ten times i did it's yeah. funny that you mentioned rosenbaum i was just up at his house yesterday and did his podcast oh, and awesome. i didn't know that he was like he's also a hockey player um and uh uh we were talking about playing and he was like do you still play and i was like dude i turned 50 in less than 30 days and i haven't put on skates in like 10 years and there is absolutely no way yeah. <laughs> it's just no way at 
all yeah the angles would not remember how to do that right (laughs) oh man like i would just if i tried to put on gear now i don't know if i'm even strong enough to like carry goalie gear like i used to you know like putting on pads i'm just like sorry guys i cannot get to the ice from the bench you're gonna have to drag me drive me in the cart well my my stepson is uh really getting into sports now and Uh he has uh kind of like latched on to me because i played a lot of sports as a kid and yeah you know so we'll go out and like i'll play with him and stuff and i was like and he's been watching hockey with me he's like i'd really like to try that so I went right yeah. out and I got sticks and I got, you know, the nets and stuff. And yeah. we've been playing more. And I was like, ah, I still kind of have the wrist shot there. And I'm like trying to teach him. I'm like, yeah. shots are fine, man. You can see that all day long. Let's get this wrist shot down if you want yeah. to play. Uh, but That's he's, awesome. he's falling in love with it. And, you know, just I fun. love that. I'm really happy for both of you that you have something to share together. It's really cool. I, I want to say you've been really inspiring too as a stepdad and how you've stepped up. And like, like he, like we have my wife and I together have our five-year-old and that's our son. But like yeah, my stepson and Casey, I think can attest to this is like, he's like such a big part of my life. I've been in his life since he's two yeah. and like, we get along like with all the geek stuff. He collects pops too. Like, yeah. so like we always are trying to connect in that way, but like I you love know, reading that. your story and such was like really, you know, like being a stepdad, like you don't have a lot of stories like that. So it was right. Really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Secret stepdad handshake. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, so it is, so the, my buddy Joe wanted me to tell you, go Kings. He's, <laughs> yeah, I guess he, he they got a lot right better up. yesterday. Like, I think the, the Kings are, the, King, the Kings traded for Kevin Fiala, which makes them, absolutely makes them a playoff team. Like, they, they are, expectations now are to make the playoffs. And it, it hasn't been that way for a while, right? So yeah. expectations now are make the playoffs. And I think a reasonable expectation is get past the first round. I think that they are they're 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 definitely heading in that direction. I'm very excited about it. That's doable. I yeah, mean, that's a absolutely. the Western Conference is right for the picking. So, yeah, we gotta get rid of those Golden Knights. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're in a rough division now. Pacific Division has gotten real good, yeah. um, but that's okay. It's fun. Every game is fun to watch because of that. Oh, absolutely. All right, I gotta ask you. Not yeah. your favorite genre to work on. We're going to get there. Okay. What's your favorite genre to watch? I don't know what you would call this genre, but it is the genre that um, from which. Okay. I want you to imagine genres as sections of a field. Okay. And you plant different shows in those different sections of the field and that's where they grow. Okay. Science fiction is one section of the field, fantasy and so on and so on. There's a section of this field. I don't know what we call it, but it is where the 1970s series in search of lives. It's where Ripley's believe it or not is grown. It's where beyond belief fact or fiction is grown. It's that like pseudo that's like that, that we it, it's paranormal programming that acknowledges that paranormal stuff isn't real Mm -hmm. but it's fun to pretend that it is now this is very very different from the modern paranormal stuff which pretends that it's real and it's not like right it's just it's bullshit none of it is real (laughs) um but i absolutely as a kid i loved and i still love um those like what if mysteries i know they aren't real but they're so fun to imagine um and and like i just i love that in in the last like 
like my, I have a, a friend of mine and I loved listening to the Art Bell show in the 90s before it became, before conspiracy theories became white supremacist, toxic, uh, uh, dangerous, unhinged lunacy. Back then, it was silly. Like, of course, that's not a, of course, that's not a UFO. But what if it was, you know, like, it's just so fun. That stuff was so much fun. So that would be my absolute favorite genre. That's um, awesome. uh, and I just don't know what, what you call it, but anything that lives in that area and nobody's doing it well now. No. Um, uh, it just, I have not found it uh, uh, anywhere at the moment that, that evokes the same vibe that I had as a kid. And I think that might just be that, there's just too much overlap in the Venn diagram of people who like fun, obviously not real supernatural paranormal programming and people who are like, no conspiracy theories are absolutely real. Wake up, do your own research. Yeah. The people who commit to the Bigfoot challenges for their entire lives trying to track them down. And it's like, yeah, right, come on. Yeah. It's a blurry photo. <laughs> yeah. I think the big difference now is back then they let the viewers decide. Do you believe this or not? Yeah. Now it's like you better believe this. How do you not believe? Well, it helped when you had like Leonard place. Nimoy with yeah. I'm in search of, you know, really guiding you down that journey, that path. It was I, wonderful. I bought the entire In Search of series on DVD years ago, and uh, every three or four years, I just kind of rewatch all of it from start to finish. And I recently finished it again, and it's just fun. Just really, really fun and silly. I'm sure that there are kids growing up today watching the the like paranormal programming on um, you know on basic cable, and hopefully they are experiencing the same fun vibes that I felt. Yeah. Hopefully they know that it's not real, but it's just fun. Like, but honestly, I feel like kids are kind of cheated today. Um, the like Ghost Bros guy um, is so dumb and and uh, and just like cringy and like we got Leonard Nimoy who was cool. <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> and, uh, like, we got Jonathan Frakes, who, who you know, who was like had gravitas, you know. The ultimate cool man. He was great. Yeah, totally. Oh, perfect. Uh, well, yeah, that it, was that was a fantastic genre and one that I think really inspired a lot of critical thinking. It was like writing prompts. And, yeah, like, yeah, writing prompts is a great way to think of it. Yeah. It, yeah, and it, that's a great. Writing. I didn't even think about that as its own genre, but it yeah, it definitely works so perfectly. Yeah. I love that. Um, What's your favorite comic book cover or issue? I actually really, really love the variant cover Emma Rios did for the Fox comic that Felicia Day and I wrote. Um, oh, yeah. It is, yeah. So Paul Duffield did one cover. That's Fox in his uh, uh, Avatar outfit, just like with a the staff and a big, gorgeous uh, a cloak with all these glowing runes on it. But Emma Rios drew one that is Fox and Codex um uh like like locked in this passionate embrace um uh that is just so emma rios and i absolutely love it and i cannot believe that i was able to get them like like i am uh when when we did that uh the publisher was like do you have an artist you want to work with and i said i if he's available i'd love to hire jamie mckelvey um, and they were like, we can't get Jamie McKelvey. And I said, actually, Jamie's a friend of mine. I'm going to ask him if he has space in his queue. And he did. And, uh, and like that comic is a very big deal to me. I wrote it. <laughs> um, uh, Jamie did the interior art and Emma and, and Paul did, 
did variant covers like that was very much a um uh like quest complete all the bonus extra things ticked off like um you know gold trophy uh in 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 the on the on the dashboard of my life that's every achievement right there boom yeah <laughs> yeah i love that that's pretty yeah. awesome what's your favorite thing to collect quarters that are older than 1985. Okay. When I get change, which doesn't happen that much anymore because we're doing everything without money, right? Um, but for the longest time, whenever I got quarters in my change that were older than, that were 1986 or older, I save them because there's a very good chance that at some point in that quarter's existence, it ran through an arcade machine. And I think that's cool. So when I'm going out and shopping or whatever, I am constantly playing this game. Am I gonna get loot that can go into my um, my bank? And my bank is a treasure goblin from Diablo 3. Yes. And uh, when you put a quarter in it, it goes, ha! Um, so, uh, that, that is filled with quarters. Eventually, I haven't done it yet. I'm holding it back. I'm saving it as a, like, um, Hey buddy, congratulations. Here's a, here's a prize for you reward. I'm going to eventually buy myself a Donkey Kong machine or maybe a Mr. Do machine. And when that happens, all these quarters that I've been collecting over the years are going to go next to it in a bucket. And when it's time to play that machine, rather than it being on free play, you'll put a classic quarter into the classic arcade game. That is brilliant. That's amazing. What I, a love, cool, I love that story. Jeez. Yeah, what a cool idea. Before I'm like looking around my yeah, stuff. definitely would have gone through a, an arcade machine. Yeah. I'm like looking around my room, I'm like, I don't have anything cool like that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of like, so like what you collect is not about the thing. It's about the effort and the joy and the journey and the quest. Like it doesn't matter what it is. Like everybody who's collecting things, it's the same thing that I've said about being a nerd. Like it's not about the thing you love. It's about the way you love the thing. So like whatever you collect I'm, brings you the exact same kind of joy that collecting oh, yeah. quarters brings for me. Well, it's funny because I did a review with my son of uh, Minions Rise of Gru because he really wanted yeah. to do it with me yesterday. And uh, he adorable. saw one. He made this for me at school. Oh, the, buddy. Only reason, the only reason he made it for me was because I collect figures and he wanted to make one from him. And I was like, oh and he God, saw it. That's the best thing. But he didn't realize it was sitting in my office. It sits right here always. Like it sits right, yeah. right, right next to me. So, and he saw it when we were doing it. He's like, "You kept this?" I was like, "Yeah, it's my favorite thing. Like it stays right there. It's never gonna Aww, leave." That's incredible. I love that. Yeah, I, it's always and like you know, Casey, I, I know can attest to it. Like his daughter does amazing artwork, and he collects artwork. So it's like, yeah, yeah, it, she, it falls stuff. right in line. So I actually have it all over my fridge. And everywhere else over off camera, but it's all that's here. great. <laughs> totally that's she wonderful. loves doing it, and she loves always trying to be like, which character should I do? She's a big Pokemon kick right now, so it's all she's drawing every single Pokemon. It's fantastic, yeah. and I think that's the important that's awesome. thing, especially collecting from your kids. Is like they see what you like, and they you know they they want to they want to attribute or contribute to that in some way. Yeah. So the last question on this list. Yeah. 
and then we'll we'll get a little bit deeper but not you know we only have a few more questions after that is uh which favorite movie and tv show all time my favorite movie of all time is blade runner nice. i really love the director's cut although i don't think it's the best way for someone who's never seen it before to to meet that movie oh, uh i i don't like the narration but I do think it makes the movie a bit more accessible to to a casual person who doesn't really understand what the universe is. And I thought the sequel was really, really good. I thought they did a really great job with it. Um, my, I mean, I don't, I can't tell you what my favorite TV show is. I don't, it's changed so much. When I was a, when I was a kid, it would have been like Challenge of the Super Friends or Thundar the Barbarian. Then when I was a little older, it absolutely would have been the original Star Trek for a very, very, very long time. That would have stayed as like my number one favorite thing ever to watch. Um, then uh, before uh, the absolute complete incompetence of the showrunners revealed itself, Game of Thrones was amazing. Um, uh, what are we watching right now that I really, really like? Um, you know, it's not a traditional TV show, but it is a series and I can't get enough of it. And it's Crash Course on YouTube. It is a, it, it's an educational series developed specifically for younger viewers, like for high school students. Uh, and each one is Crash Course Philosophy, Crash Course World History, Crash Course Economics. The one that I'm watching right now that is blowing my mind is Crash Course Black American History. These are like seven to 15 minute episodes of incredible information, beautifully presented in a really in, like simple to follow, um a objective compelling way and i cannot get enough of it like i mean i just i watch so much of this every night and i'm learning so much right. i'm getting the same you know like we watch television to kind of like have an escape and have a have a respite from things and for whatever reason lately i've been doing this a lot you know so um i'm spending a lot of my days like i'm spending a lot of time revisiting a really lousy childhood and i'm spending a lot of time um talking about mental health recovery and stuff and it's draining it's it's tiring and and, and there have been days where uh after a few interviews i'm just like i can't anymore i am wrung out and when that happens i don't want to go turn my head off and watch something brainless like I want something that's interesting and like intellectually nourishing. That's just how I'm wired. And that's the thing that I've been, that I've been watching. Um, oh, it's a great I, I also have the extraordinary privilege of watching all the current Star Trek series uh, for my job on the ready room. And uh, uh, a, an enormous benefit of that is I'm watching episodes of the various Star Trek series that have not aired yet. Um, so like one of my favorite things to watch is the upcoming season of Lower Decks that I can't talk about at all. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I know as soon as you said that Casey's ears perked, cause he <laughs> like, we both love it, but he like, it's amazing. It's, talking about I know, it's absolutely it's fantastic. Great. I'm going to so tell you, so listen, you'll, you'll enjoy this. Mike McMahon and I were talking to each other at the Star Trek mission Chicago con, uh, like a month or so ago. And I said, listen, I have a pitch 
for lower decks. Will you listen to it? And he was like, absolutely. And I said, okay. So for, for some reason, Wesley Crusher goes to the Cerritos and um, he, I don't know why he's there, but he really wants Mariner to think he's cool. He's not interested in her romantically. He's not trying to like make a pass at her or pick her up. He just thinks she is so cool. She's a captain's daughter. What are you talking about? That's amazing. And Wesley is just like, I just want to be friends with her. I want her to think I'm cool. So he's like, you're a captain's daughter. I'm a doctor's son. We have so much in common. Like, let's hang out. Like, look at this fun science project I made. Meanwhile, Boimler can not believe that Wesley Crusher from the Enterprise, who flew the Enterprise as a teenager, is on the Cerritos. Are you kidding me? What can Wesley teach Boimler about how to answer the ranks of Starfleet? So Boimler keeps showing up trying to make Wesley think Boimler is cool. So Mariner <laughs> is like, ugh, with Wesley. And Wesley is like, come on, with Boimler while he's trying to get... So, like, that is, that's the relationship, all right? And I said, like, it's not enough to sustain an A story. It's barely enough to sustain a B story. But I bet we could write, like, three or four scenes, and then we could just read them out loud at conventions, right? Like, if Jack and Tawny and I were at conventions, we could do it together. McMahon is like, I love this idea. I think it's super, super funny. I absolutely want to write it what should we call it? And I was like, I don't know. And he said, how about this? In Star Trek Nemesis, Wesley Crusher, and this is non-canonical, but like in Star Trek Nemesis, Wesley shows up at Riker and Troy's wedding and that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? So what if Wesley is a traveler, but he goes around the galaxy and the universe and everything, just showing up at weddings and eating the food and leaving. Like that's just kind of like what he does. That's like, that's such a lower decks kind of Wesley joke. You know what I mean? So what if Wesley is there because someone's getting married on the Cerritos and he just, that's why he's there, right? Like it's just, it's a silly, and I said, I love that. And the title of the episode is The Wedding Crusher. Oh, perfect. Yeah, and I the man was like, oh yes, it's happening now. So. <laughs> I really want it to be real. I really want it to be a thing that we do. And I've talked about it in a couple of things because I want to plant it in the world so that Mike and I both feel like, yeah, we've talked about it. That's really a thing we got to finish so yes. that we can do it. And I think it will be oh, really, really fun. And just so the universe. It will you know? manifest. That has to yeah. manifest. That sounds yeah. brilliant. Yeah. I don't see it. Getting, I don't see it actually making it into animation at all, but like, what if we just asked some people at Titmouse to just draw like five stills and then we just did like three seeds and we just read it and we projected them behind us. I think it could be really fun and really silly. So fingers crossed we can make that happen at a big Star Trek event at some point in the next I, couple I, I hope that, that comes up amazing. on the show. I, we need to see that. That would be amazing. Uh, you did also bring up the ready room, which has been awesome. It's so great. Uh, thanks. I love and, it. Wait, wait, Casey. You get three Star Trek questions. You know that. You, I know. Pick what? No, I'm just kidding. You go ahead. <laughs> I'm not going to make that one of your questions. Uh, 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 you keep. You get to keep your three. This isn't one of your three. This is just a free offer from me. I'm just dropping it out there. I just want. Uh, I will tell you that Ready Room is my favorite job I've ever had in my life. Wow. I love it, and I love. You know, there's this beautiful um, uh, 
uh, parallel journey of, of, of me and Wesley Crusher, where we were both placed on these paths as kids without our participation or consent. And there's this moment where each of us realizes this path isn't right and we leave. I left to go do like all these different things in my world and figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And Wesley leaves Starfleet to go be this traveler and and go on 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 kind of like a spiritual journey. And I did sort of the same thing. And then we both kind of come back to Starfleet and Star Trek at the same moment in our lives in kind of the same way. Wesley, as this traveler who's seen lots of things and is not a child anymore, now can touch all the different pieces of the Star Trek universe and experience all of them and bring the experience he has had as a as, as this person who's experienced so much more than the crew members of, of the current shows have. And it's the same way for me as a person. Like, I'm in legacy Star Trek. I was a kid when I did Star Trek and it was 30 years ago, but I was doing Star Trek before a lot of the current Star Trek actors were even born. And that puts me in this incredible place where I am an elder in that world. And, uh, and, and I'm also a fan and, and, and I get to celebrate it and I love it. And I feel like Wesley feels that way about the universe that, that he loves this galaxy. He loves this prime universe. He loves everyone in it. He wants to protect it. And, uh, and, and that's the way I feel about Star Trek. So I sit in that chair on the ready room and and like reach my hand through the veil and touch different Star Trek shows. And Wesley Crusher's doing the same thing, um, uh, kind of like uh, uh, touching the different places of the Star Trek universe. He can go anywhere. And uh, I love that both of us were like, listen, we're in this place and it doesn't feel right, but I like being here. And I don't know how I'm gonna get back here, but I'm eventually gonna come back here on my own terms. I'm gonna find my way into this room rather than being pushed into it by somebody else. Wesley did that with Starfleet and I did that with Star Trek. Um, and and it is, it's really meaningful to me. We just finished our 50th episode of Ready Room and I cannot believe that. And I'm grateful for it. It's an incredible privilege. I say it every few episodes and I really mean it. Sincerely, thank you to everybody who watches the show. If y'all didn't watch the show, I wouldn't get to make the show. And I wouldn't get to do this thing where I'm like professional Star Trek fan and a legacy member of the entire world that we all love. Yes, please. I will absolutely keep showing up and keep coming back. Just tell me when to be there. Which has been fantastic. And as a yeah. fan, to experience it through your eyes and to watch the way you do love and cherish and protect Star Trek in a way. Like it is, it is such a respectful, Thank you. I'm glad that you like honored thing. And it's a beautiful thing. And it's, it's, you, you are passing that along to so many new Trek shows that some of the fandom has struggled with. But as personally, I have loved all of them. And I think they all have done a wonderful job showing different aspects of that and where we are in today's culture as well. It was just season two I, of Discovery, Casey. Let it go, all right? I just didn't like that season. Leave me alone. <laughs> um, I, uh, I I appreciate that very much. You know, one of my goals here is to bring my fellow Trekkies into the room where it happens. It's my goal to bring together these two halves of me, the part of me that was... I can remember being five and six years old and sitting in front of my Fisher Price battery powered record player, listening to the Star Trek um, uh, 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 record, the 
Star Trek Kitty Records. I'm blanking on the name of of the company that 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 released them. Somebody's yelling at their podcast thing right now. It was called blah blah. I'm like, I know. Thank you. I just can't remember. I can't remember what it was. But anyway, I would just sit there and listen to them because I couldn't watch Star Trek. It was it was only on TV, you know, like once a day. Um, but I could listen to these records over and over and over and over again. So that's how long I've been a fan of Star Trek, and that's how long I've been inspired by and reaching for the secular humanist ideals of the Star Trek uh, universe and that I get to continue to participate in that as an adult and uh, uh, have this really fun thing where the overlap of the guy who's a member of legacy Star Trek and the guy who's a lifelong fan of Star Trek gets to go, hey, Star Trek fans, come with me. Hey, fellow peers who I worked with, I'm going to bring some friends in and we're going to talk about this. Is that cool? Like, I mean, it's just, it couldn't be better. It's, it is every little piece that comes together to make this awesome is, is, is locking perfectly into place. And it's so great. Every day, a little piece of me is just like, it's going to get it. Today's the last day. They can't stay this great forever. It I'm just, like, let's make more Star Trek series so that I can keep doing the Ready Room, <laughs> right? It'd be fantastic. Uh, you did perfect. actually say one little piece. Sorry, uh, Nick, real quick, just to wrap this up. Uh, there was one piece you had brought up on your uh, Wesley returning to Picard, and you would the what you had said on the Ready Room was really one fantastic. It was great the way that the character was honored and appreciated, and. Thank you. Uh, if you wouldn't mind just kind of reiterating some of that and how it made you feel to come back and do Picard as Wesley one more time, what that kind of convergence was with everything, now taking the ready room and then returning on screen. Sure. Still season three, um, by the way. We don't know if he won't come back again. This, this so this dovetails actually with my book. Um, when I wrote Just a Geek in 2004, I was really struggling with what Star Trek meant to me. I didn't know what Star Trek meant to me. Um, I loved the cast and I, and I loved the Star Trek. Being a teenager on the show was really difficult for me at times. Um, I was living in a home where I was invisible on a good day. I had my my dad actively resented me most of the time, and uh, when he when he when he paid attention to me, it was to be cruel or humiliating or to somehow hurt me. And the only thing my mom really cared about was how famous I was and how much attention she could get as a result of me being famous. And that was the world I lived in. In my house, I didn't feel like a person; I felt like a thing felt like a thing that my dad didn't like and I felt like a thing that my mother used and I was only valuable when I was being that thing. I really didn't like that. It was really hurtful. In Wesley's life, he's absolutely loved by his mother in a way that I was not. He is unconditionally supported by his chosen family in a way that I was not. But he still finds himself in the same place I found myself going, I don't know if this is what I want to do. And this is not where I want to be. And this isn't right for me. And I was I didn't choose this path on my own. I got to do something about it. And I felt a lot of that inside of me. And as a child, didn't know how to articulate it. So I just acted out. 
And that led to me quitting the show in its fourth season, which is a thing that I absolutely had to do to become a whole person. But it's a thing that I'll, I'll feel sadness about my entire life because there's just these enormous parts of Star Trek that I missed. There's all these years of relationship with the cast that I missed out on um, that I can never get back. So when I was working on Star Trek, with all of that knowledge and all, you know, with all of that background, when I was working on Star Trek, I was not able to fully appreciate it and love it and realize what it meant at the time. Cause I was in the middle of it and I just had no perspective. And I think Wesley was the same way. His entire life was that starship. When he left, when I left, we experienced different things in our lives and came to understand what was important to each of us as an actor and as a writer, I had the privilege of being consulted by the writers. Where are you in your life, Will? What do you think about Wesley? What do you think he's done in all this time? What do you, how do you, you know, we wanna know. And I unloaded all the fan fiction I've written over the last 20 years, all about him and what I thought he was. And it's basically, I think he's kind of a time Lord um and uh and and they were like great and they were super they were super into it and and uh and 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 that scene you know i got to i didn't write it but i absolutely had a hand in its development and i absolutely had a hand in wesley's development so coming back to picard as that version of wesley and getting to have i got to be as wesley the traveler the the adult and the mentor and the kind, loving, gentle, supportive person I needed when I was a kid. I got to be, Wesley is that to Corey. If their story goes on, that is who he's going to be to her. Yeah. In the preparation of that scene, Wesley was talking to me and kind of reminding me why the journey was necessary and what the future potentially holds because this is the journey I chose. And that allowed me to love it and embrace it. And most importantly, just heal so many unresolved open wounds that had been torn open in me by toxic fandom and an abusive home life in my teens really healed up a lot of that when that episode aired and fandom was uniformly celebratory so excited overjoyed for me personally overjoyed for wesley as a character overjoyed for what they saw of themselves reflected in him being there it was this moment of like I wanted to go back to 15 year old me who is sitting in his bedroom, listening to Depeche Mode, playing Dark Tower on his Macintosh. So sad, so lonely, so scared. I wanna just put my arms around that little boy and tell him it's all gonna be okay. And it's all gonna be okay because you're not giving up right now. You're fighting and you're struggling and you are existing so that you're surviving so that I can thrive. 
And it was the same way for Wesley. And I see those things really coming together in, in that episode of Picard. And um, it was extraordinarily meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. And just that the celebration and the joy, the fact that I was seen as much as Wesley was seen because of that thing was really, really important to me. All I ever wanted in my whole life was to be seen. And all I ever wanted was to be like accepted and just, I just always wanted to feel like the things that were important to me, it was like, like, okay, that those things were important to me. And, and that like the things that made me, me were valuable. And I grew up feeling like I had to make all of those pieces as small as possible because what was the only thing that mattered was being the thing. And I think Wesley kind of felt the same way a little bit. You know, he was the doctor's son and he was the smartest person in the room all the time. And he, as the original traveler said, was destined for these unbelievable things with the burden of expectation, external and and self-imposed removed. We're both in places where we can really thrive now. And, uh, and, and that, you know, for, for a lot, for everybody in the universe who isn't me, it's three pages of, Hey, there's Wesley. Cool. But for me, it's a, it's the whole universe. Uh, It was amazing. And it shined through. It really it's, did. It's it was beautiful. It was a beautiful yeah. scene. And it, I know for yeah. me watching, it was like, Wesley's back. All right. Yeah, I had a total no. squee moment. Yeah. <laughs> but I, if nothing ever happens with him again, and I know, I mean, I just know firsthand from showrunners of other Star Trek series, every one of them wants Wesley on their show. They just don't know how to do it. Yeah. I cannot describe how good that makes me feel. Well, how special that makes me feel just how loved and 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 celebrated that like it's it's uh, it is amazing even if nothing ever happens with him if that's it if that scene is all of it that's it's enough boy is it enough anything else that happens is just an unbelievable generous gift and i have no idea if anything ever will and that's really that's a that is such a wonderful place for me as a person to be. Um, I spent my whole life feeling like even the coolest things that I accomplished weren't enough because my dad still didn't love me, right? And it's like, well, if if my dad doesn't love me, I obviously haven't done enough. And it took me a long time to realize nothing's ever going to be enough for that asshole. So I just have to enjoy the things that happen when they do happen. And like, this is so much more than enough. <laughs> um, and it just feels really good. Um, and it's something I'm really grateful for. And you've inspired so many of us, you know, the fans, like, to see that we want you back. We wanted to see you on screen. So for when you- I came, feel that. I feel yeah. that and I love it. Yeah, I that that's that feels really good. Well, I know when Casey and I, especially when the, rate, when the ready room started, Casey yeah. and I were like, there's nobody better than this to do it. Because you are, for us, I know, watching TNG as a kid, especially Casey, um, it was a, you were that representation of us. Because it, yeah. it wasn't a child- I, on Star Trek before that. Yeah, I love this. I've actually heard this a lot from people around our age. You know, when when uh, when Star Trek was on the air and toxic fandom was really just 
knives out for me and nobody had my back and nobody was standing up for me. Uh, it was really hurtful and it was really upsetting. And, and um, what I didn't know, I think the majority of the world didn't know is that that little tiny piece of toxic fandom was the same, they were the same people that they are now. They're like emotionally immature, young 20s um, uh, men, uh, insecure, uh, kind of mediocre dudes who don't like seeing things that make them feel uncomfortable. And they, a lot of these guys just didn't like a kid in their sci-fi, you know, for yeah. lots of different reasons. And there were a lot of times where Wesley was objectively badly written and I don't take any, I don't, that's not my fault. It's not my problem. Like, you know, there are times where I'm like, Ugh, I don't like that about him and I don't like the way that he's written, but like taken as an overall arc, I think he's really well done and representation for an entire generation of kids who were not online in the eighties and nineties, you know, telling me all the ways that I should be, you know, executed for the terrible crime of being an actor on a TV series. What? And um, uh, what we didn't know, what I didn't know is that Wesley was a massively popular character. Wesley was as popular as Data and Picard. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. He was popular with kids who weren't talking about it because none of us had a voice. None of us were in the conversation. Yep. When I was a kid and I would go to conventions, sometimes I'd get to sit next to Jimmy Dewan. And every time someone came to Jimmy and said, you know, I'm an engineer because of Scotty, I thought that is the coolest thing. What an amazing, like, what an incredible thing to do with your life. Like, wow, this character you played inspired someone's career choice. It never occurred to me that that could theoretically happen for me, and it does all the time. Uh, yeah. By now, we're well into the tens of thousands of people that have told me um, in one way or another, yeah, I'm in science, engineering, medicine, uh, research and development because of Wesley, because I was a smart, weird kid, and I was too smart for my own good, and I just didn't, like... I felt awkward and weird and I saw him and I just thought, thank God, there I am. There's somebody that's like me. Um, and credit Gene Roddenberry for knowing that kids needed that. Um, you know, Wesley wa Wesley crawled so that Jake Sisko could fly, you know? <laughs> um, Jake Jake flew so that Adira could uh, uh, like be the absolute realization of a young, brilliant person in the Star Trek. Yeah, she's phenomenal. Oh, yeah. timeline and it's something that i'm grateful for and and just like i don't spend a lot of time being proud of things because i feel like as soon as you're proud of something somebody comes along and pushes you over but i'm really proud and really grateful um uh and and like i i, I care for this the way that that you care for something fragile um that you want to preserve for future generations um, that is the way I feel about Wesley and his story and and his relationship to the people who uh, who were real inspired by him, uh, that that he was a, 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 a positive influence on. Mm -hmm. hey, hey, listen, they try to knock you down. You got a bunch of fans ready to pick you right back up. Exactly. It's great. Yeah. I mean, that's really nice. Like when I was younger, I felt like nobody had my back. Um, and as an adult, I feel like the world has my back and that's pretty special. That's awesome. Well, you've earned it. I mean, yeah. you put in the work. Yeah. I'm doing my best to be the person I need in the world. Mm -hmm. I need people in this world who are kind and compassionate, 
who are empathetic, um, uh, who are gentle um, and, uh, and supportive. And I work real hard to be that person and show up as that person for myself. And when I, when I am successful, I am also able to show up as that person for other people. And I believe that when we work real hard to be the people we need in the world, we're also kind of inspiring that in others who just sort of passively see us and it, and it, and it triggers something in them that makes them uh, uh, put in a little bit of effort to be that person as well. Um, and, and when that is successful, um, I feel like I am, I'm not wasting my time. I'm putting good things into the world and I'm not wasting the unbelievable privilege that I have. So, um, uh, thank you. Thank you. We, thank you. It, it shows <laughs> that shines through. And I, I love that message of you wanted to be the person you needed. Uh, as, and, and I know speaking for myself, even like when I became a stepfather and, and then had my own child, I was like, my kids are never going to know what I knew growing up. Yeah. yeah. And the, and, and by not being that I've made myself what I like to think is a good person, caring person, kind person. Um, so, you know, and I want to raise my kids to be the same, you know, like best thing we could do is raise our kids to be better than us yeah. and everybody. Yeah. So I, it's, uh, you know, that, that was a beautiful sentiment. Casey, great pull on that, by the way. <laughs> With that. Um, we're gonna, I know we have to wrap up real quick. Uh, there's a couple of things um, we were kind of touching on. Tabletop. Is it coming yeah. back? No. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, I, I can't go into it, but it's not coming back. Okay. All right. I we, am grateful. We're... I'm grateful that we got to do it. Um. I will be grateful to Felicia Day, Jennifer Arnold, Sherry Bryant, and Kim Evie, Adam Lawson for the rest of my life. They really worked really hard to help me realize that show and do something really special. I'm grateful for how we fundamentally changed the industry and, and brought the tabletop gaming hobby out of the shadows and into the mainstream of, of popular entertainment. I'm thrilled that we were part of that. As you can see behind me, I still love playing tabletop games. Um, uh, but the show, the show tabletop doesn't belong to me. Um, and and uh, uh, that's one reason it won't happen. Um, uh, I also just, I have so much happening in my life right now. I am so unbelievably busy that there's just no time. Even if I did have the rights to do the show, I couldn't even think about looking at pre-production for another year. Mm. I mean, that's, and that's fully fair. I mean, uh, you, have, you have a lot on your plate. Uh, we did one half though, being so busy. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. That, not a bad problem to have. <laughs> but for people who are fans of tabletop, right. I mean, I'm sure that a lot of you that are fans of tabletop know about this. Like the dice tower is amazing. Actual wall is great. Um, uh, like they, they, there are people out there who really picked up the ball um and and have continued to do uh really fantastic gaming content and uh and are doing kind of the same thing that we wanted to do right like i just wanted tabletop to illustrate by example why people play games i just wanted to show that and i thought like having interesting celebrity people on would give non-gamers a reason to watch the show uh and and a way that gamers could could convince their non-gaming partners to watch a gaming show with them in the hopes that somehow the non-gaming partner would realize how much fun gaming is. And uh, all the gaming shows that I watch now 
still do that um, uh, in, you know, in, the, in their own way. And I think they do them really well. Well, I, I do want to say, like, we're big, we're very avid fans of Munchkin. We play it a lot. Okay. You know, we love board right. games in general and dice games and card games, but Munchkin yeah. is like one that really Casey and I and our families and such are really into. Um, yeah. I do want to say I hate you for one reason, and that is Which your is? episode of Tabletop. My <laughs> my stepson, who loves Munchkin as well, now yeah. knows that he can be a sniper because he. <laughs> 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 and that's what yeah. he's like. No, I'm not helping anybody. I'm going to take you out as quick as I can. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So he, now we that have is terrific. To it. <laughs> no, but I, I, you know, we always appreciate it and we love that. So I want to ask what your favorite version of Munchkin is at years later. If uh, you have a different one, um, I would have to pick Star Munchkin because it's the one that has a very special, extremely rare uh, card called Heart of the Anomaly. Um, that that was custom made for um, a local con in Austin in like 2002, 2000, 2001, 2002, somewhere around there, called um, LinuCon. And uh, they only made a couple hundred of them. Uh, they are extremely valuable to Munchkin collectors. Um, every now and then I auction one for charity and they go for hundreds, sometimes thousands of dollars for a single card. So, so because of that, that is my favorite version of it. Um, I think Munchkin, Munchkin is about a half an hour of fun that can be uh, packed into about four hours of gaming. And that's where Munchkin stops being fun, where it's just like this, like we need the game to end. So with that in mind, the base game is great for me. I really enjoy the base game. Um, up to the point where where all of us at the table are like, okay, you win, a new game. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I also, you know, for the lot, people come to me at cons and ask me to make, to write cards against humanity cards for them, and I've been doing that for years. Every now and then, people want me to make Munchkin cards for them, and I've made some really fun, silly Munchkin cards. And because I know Steve Jackson, I have approval from Steve Jackson and um, uh, to to like tell the players these cards are official for your game. You are allowed to use them in your game. And my dear friend, Andrew Hackard, who we lost um, to motherfucking cancer uh, 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 during the pandemic, was the editor on Munchkin for years and was their lead joke writer and did all the amazing puns and, and came up with so much of what we love about Munchkin really comes from Andrew's amazing creative brain and, and his love of puns and his love and deep, deep, deep knowledge of just like gaming esoterica. Um, so uh, even though Munchkin is not my favorite game to play, it will always be one of my absolute favorite games on my shelf um, because it really, really, really means a lot to me. That's awesome. Amazing. That's uh, we have a couple more questions and we're going to do Patreon and we'll promise we'll get you out of here. Uh, just okay. one question would be, we have a show called Real Combat, R-E-E-L, where mm -hmm. we invite movie fans on and they uh, debate why we should watch their movie of choice. Okay. So whenever we have somebody on for an interview, we like to ask you to give us a movie recommendation, something that you think we should watch. And we'd love to hear it. <laughs> um, the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Oh, it's a beautiful movie. I love that movie. That was on recently it's, too. Was on it's gorgeous. It's historically significant. Um, I'm. Uh, I live where the Venn diagram of 
nerd, goth, and punk overlap. Nice. That's a weird part of the Venn diagram. And I know that people who are in there with me are all nodding their heads. You know exactly what I'm talking about. In that, movies like Metropolis and The Testament of Dr. Malibus and, uh, and The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, um, Nosferatu, like those kind of like early, ninth, early 20th century, um, uh, 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 like uh, Bauhaus inspired, very Gothic German films, just inspired so much of the aesthetic that means so much to me. So I will love those things forever and I will just put them on and leave them on the TV just to be filling up the room. Awesome. Perfect. That's a great answer. Yeah. Now you are a host of many things. Uh, you're a host extraordinaire uh, for sure. Um, and we are, we of course host some shows ourselves and we would love it if you had some advice to give us on hosting. When you're interested you're interesting. And that really matters. I can tell when somebody's just reading questions and not engaged. Um, I have to work extra hard as a guest in those situations or a host in those situations to keep it alive and keep it interesting. So when I'm on either side of the equation, I work to talk about things that I'm interested in so that I remain interesting as a host. For me, it's easy to get real excited and talk too much. Um, uh, just because I'm excited to be sharing these things and, and having this exchange with the guests. So I actually work real hard to, to talk less and, and, and just listen. And if I feel like I'm doing that too much, I'm probably almost listening enough. That's wonderful. Yeah. Hopefully you can tell we were interested <laughs> today. We, uh, I absolutely can. <laughs> we, we absolutely are. You, you are amazing. Uh, just to finish up uh, from our, it's not so much. We ask our patron supporters if they have any questions or anything like yeah. that. Uh, and from Tim and Dan, uh, they didn't have any questions, but they wanted us to make sure to tell you how big of fans they are. Um, That's really Titan's sweet. Grave. Thank you. I love, love Titan's Grave. Rent a Shout pal. out. Shout out to my son, Ryan, who co-wrote Titan's Grave with me. He did an absolutely amazing job. Um, uh, I wish, you know, we have the story boarded for five seasons. It'll never happen, but uh, it was great and I loved it. And I heard you say Rent-A-Pal. Wow. John, Stevens, uh, John Stevenson asked me to, to do that movie and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I love it. I love okay. everything about it. I'm so proud of it. Uh, if you're hearing the title Rent About for the very first time, uh, just look it up wherever you stream movies. It is almost certainly there. It's, I know it's on Hulu. It's on Amazon Prime. I, I don't know if it's on Netflix in America, but I think it is in other countries. I love it. And I'm yeah. real, real proud of it. Um, and uh, and I, gosh, I had such a good time doing that. Our horror group uh, watched it only a couple of months ago. Like we, we yeah. did watch parties and stuff and we yeah. loved it. We thought it was great. Yeah, so for sure. So, um, have you seen the Have you seen X? Oh, yeah. I did. I recently saw it. I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed that it amazing. way more than I, I. It it held my interest um, all the way to the end. Mm -hmm. um, like it really, I was like, huh, okay. Like, and then I was like, okay, I'm gonna watch this because it looks interesting, and I bet just like visually, this is gonna be a cool movie. I like that, you know, that throwback look. And then the story was 
so much more engaging than I expected. Uh, Agreed, I really, yeah. anyway, when people say horror, that's the most recent horror thing I've watched. Yeah, it's fantastic. Oh, no, no. I West did such a great job with that movie. And yeah. normally I was expecting that sort of long drawn out innkeepers, like you're going to get hints along the way. And yeah. then midway through, it's just wrong. No, it's you're going. It's not, it's just, I know, it's great. It goes, yeah, it goes in one direction halfway through, and then you're like, okay, I know what I'm in for. Yeah. Uh, they also want to compliment you on your awesome uh, octopus tattoo. So. Oh, thank you. <laughs> She's great. I love her. So this was, this is, I'm working on a cephalopod sleeve over here. You can sort of see oh, nice. um, my, there's a nautilus, and then I've got a cuttlefish under here that's going up. Um, but my artist lives out of state and we were, uh, we had a very, very long session. Um, and I ran out of endorphins and I was like, I got to stop now. Uh, and, and she was like, cool. I'll see you in about a month. And that was December of 2019. So we haven't been in the same place since then. Um, so, uh, uh I'm waiting to get it finished, but eventually this will be a whole sleeve. I'm going to, I'm also going to get a squid down here. Uh, and then fill in the blank space with like some some water looks, you know, uh, things like that. That's right. I'm thinking grayscale with a cape with a little bit of like what we, what we what we would consider like a a, a gentle blue ink wash. Okay. Um, if we were painting like 40k figures, that's sort of what it's going to look like. Nice. Right. Yeah. We uh we just want to say thank you so much for being on. You are not only in Stand by Me, which one of our favorites. Toy Toy Soldiers is one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, thanks. I go back home. Joey Trotter, you're from New Jersey, just like me. So yeah. uh, <laughs> such a sad end for Joey. <laughs> um, yeah. We were, uh, you know, we wanted to just touch down and say you're in our favorite episode of Tales from the Crypt as well. A no good, kidding. That's okay. That's a deep cut. That's not something I expected. A good friend of ours for of the show um, yeah. is Brian, Brian Krause. Krause. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> what is Brian doing these days? I haven't seen him since the 90s. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's working. He, uh, I can't remember the last latest thing he was in. He was in Canada for a while filming yeah. and then uh, down in ah, Georgia. Good for him. So, yeah. Yeah. He was always he, really kind to me. He always jumps on. And then, uh, yeah, and he's, uh, he's, Casey and he are, are very close and they've hung out out in LA and such. And, uh, we we've talked about like you know that on the show before like that was one of our favorite episodes. Yeah, so. it's got now, such a great ending. God, what a beautiful twist ending! It just uh, I love. I mean, that's what I love about. I read those comics as a kid, you know, like and then the '70s yeah. versions of them, like House of Mystery and and House of Secrets and those you know those sorts of things. Um, and I was just when I love when somebody in that universe engages in terrible behavior and you know that tales from the crypt justice is coming for them in the third act Every time it's the best. <laughs> I, I i love that episode because i think it really pays off <laughs> such a it's such a it was such a great show and uh, i wish i could revive it but uh yeah we love that and i it, that becomes like sort of our thing when we have somebody on if they were on tales from the crypt we always go because yeah. like, we were such big fans of it yeah um yeah. But, th you know, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, it's been a real pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. It's been lovely talking yeah. with you both. Really appreciate it. It's meant a lot. Thank you so much for, you know, your kind, wise words. And also just thank you. being able to kind of have that conversation of seeing, you know, I, I kind of jumped onto this episode expecting to have these big conversations and all these thoughts that I had about, oh, Star Trek, next gen, next gen, next gen. But, yeah. but really, you know, having this conversation and having 
watched you and know where you've come and where you, how far you've come and what your future holds. I'm more excited about your future and super excited to see what you, you have going forward. So thank you very much. It's been You're a very kind. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm excited too, which is weird because I've spent my whole life just being afraid of what's on the other side of the event horizon. And, um, uh, at, at, at this moment, like professionally and personally, um, I sincerely, genuinely feel um, excited, and that's and 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 secure, um, and that's not something I've 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 experienced for most of my life, and just having that sense of emotional security, financial stability, and knowing where my career is going, um, is something I'm really grateful for. That's fantastic. Awesome. Well, thank you. And thank you, everybody, for watching. And we will talk to you guys soon. Take care. Appreciate you. Thanks for watching and listening, everybody. I'm the Scene Snob, Mick Manhattan. You can check out the Scene Snobs podcast live every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern on our YouTube channel or all podcast platforms afterwards. Also on our YouTube channel, you can check out great shows like Real Combat, the ultimate debate show for movie lovers, Mixed Movie Picks with new recommendations every week, Geek Fest Live every Sunday night, and new movie reviews and news all the time. Like and subscribe, then hit the notification bell so you know when all of our new episodes drop. Thank you so much to all of our amazing Patreon supporters. With whom this would not be possible. They help keep the lights on and support us in such big ways. If you would like to become a supporter on our Patreon and take advantage of all the perks like monthly giveaways, early access, and so much more, head on over to the Scene Snobs Patreon page and just sign up on one of our two tiers. Join our awesome community of geeks, movie lovers, and so much more and join up on our Discord. The Scene Snobs Discord is now live and you can head over to thescenesnobs.com for links to there and more. The Scene Snobs merch store is now open with original and fun designs that are available on all different types of merch and apparel. Check out thescenesnobsmerch.com. Make sure you like, follow, and subscribe to all of our social media accounts like TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and so many more. We have fun updates, topics, we talk about collectibles, and so much more on there. It's a great time. You can find all of our links to everything on thescenesnobs.com or on our link tree, which are down in the descriptions below. Thanks again, everyone. Stay tuned and stay geeky. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.